before we get into our teaching, and you'll notice I have a little bit of a cold, um, I just really petition your prayers because I want to share this teaching with the greatest sensitivity that I can. Um, my goal is not to offend anybody. Boy, when you hear a pastor say that before speaking, you're you're always you're already prepared for something. I, I do not want to defend. I don't want to offend anybody, and I I'm not cr- trying to criticize anybody at all. I'm just using some uh, different ideas that kind of launch us into this topic this morning. So I would petition your prayers, and let's do that together this morning. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would. Teach us what your word is. You, you have said in the scriptures that your word would not return to you void. And so we just ask that it would do its work in us. And as we examine some different ideas, um, may we be challenged where we need challenging. May we be comforted where we need comfort. Uh, but more than anything, may we understand more fully what your word is is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few months back, actually it was around October, I came to a conviction that as a congregation, as a, as a community of believers, and any who want to sit in and listen, we needed to grapple with this question that seems to be a pretty basic question. And that is, what is the Bible? At the end of the day, what is this book that Christians revere, as I mentioned last week, we actually attach the word holy to it. So what is this book? What is the Bible? It seems like if you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe your whole life, it may seem like such an obvious question. It is the word of God, right? Why would we think anything else? And I want to affirm this morning that the Bible, as I understand it, is the word of God. Absolutely. However, there's different ways that people approach the Bible. There's different ways that people approach Scripture. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a trigger warning ahead of time, okay? Because what we're going to look at here in a second, which was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, is uh, maybe a little challenging to some people. It may be affirming to other people. And no matter where we are on the spectrum of our understanding of the Word of God, I hope and pray that we would all be very cordial and pleasant to each other. Um, At the same time, I'm going to share some quotes from an individual, and I'm sharing those quotes not in criticism of the individual, but simply an illustration of how there might be varying interpretations of the Bible, okay? I'm I'm giving you all these caveats and these warnings, and I'm just trying to do it with the greatest sensitivity that I can. You see, a few months ago, there was a very well-known preacher that was at a conference. He's a very, very well-known evangelical Christian preacher, and he was on a panel And they were discussing different relevant issues within Christianity when somebody on the panel asked this individual a question and they said, what do you think of Beth Moore? Now, do any of you, have any of you heard of Beth Moore? Yeah, some of us have. Okay. So this individual, and again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Beth Moore. I'm not 
heralding Beth Moore. I'm not criticizing the gentleman that responded to Beth Moore, nor am I heralding him. But this became very controversial within the wider Christian world because there was now a discussion between a gentleman by the name of Pastor John MacArthur. Have any of you heard of him? All right, Pastor John MacArthur and Beth Moore. And this was the thing. See, Beth Moore is a preacher, and she's a teacher, and she has a very, very large platform. In fact, on Twitter, I don't know if you are are very familiar with Twitter, but on Twitter, she has something like half a million followers, which is quite a platform. She has more followers, I believe, I think it's rather safe to say, than Pastor John MacArthur. And so the question was, what do you think of Beth Moore? And he gave a two-word response. Maybe some of you heard this. Very simply, this was his response. He said, go home. Now, that absolutely rocked the Christian world. And he went on to expound what he thought about Beth Moore. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical of him or her or anybody. I'm just, this is kind of, this is kind of the impetus for why we need to talk about what is the Bible. Check out what Pastor MacArthur said. And I, I believe Pastor MacArthur is a man of God. I believe Beth Moore is a woman of God. But check out what he said. He said this. There is no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher, period. End of paragraph, end of discussion. That's a pretty, pretty straightforward thought, isn't it? Listen, he's like, this is a conversation. There's not even a conversation to be had here. Women, according to the Bible, cannot preach. They cannot teach. He goes on to say, the primary effort in feminism is not equality. They don't want equality. That's why 99% of plumbers are men. Have you noticed that? I don't know if he's done a scientific study or what, but he said that. He said, they don't want equal power to be a plumber. They want to be senators, preachers, congressmen, president. The power structure in a university They want power, not equality. And this is the highest location they can ascend to that power in the evangelical church and overturn what is, and this, I put this in, 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 uh, italics, what is clearly scriptural. Okay? I see some heads shaking. Yes, some shaking. No. This is not, brothers and sisters, this is not a talk on whether women should be preachers or pastors, okay? This is merely the context for our question of what is the Bible? Now, he had an opportunity. Oh, he goes on to say, so I think this is feminism gone to church. This is why we can't let the culture exegete the Bible. Do you know what that word exegete means? It means to interpret. So what he's saying is there is a whole movement that has allowed outside cultural influences to interpret the Bible. He says, we can't do that. That's what happens when we allow this to happen. Well, a few weeks later, after the firestorm ensued, he had a chance to clarify what he thought on this issue. And so he very gladly, at his congregation, he shared some further thoughts. He said this, women pastors and women preachers are the most obvious evidence 
of churches rebelling against the Bible. Very obvious, he says. Women who pastor and women who preach in the church are a disgrace and openly reflect opposition to the clear command of the word of God. This is flagrant disobedience. Now again, I'm emphasizing, you're getting the point where I'm emphasizing here. This is the clear word of God, he says. These are the clear commands that they are rebelling against, the church is rebelling against. He goes on to describe how he quotes Matthew 14, 34, which says women should remain silent in the churches. And he says that shouldn't be hard to understand. Right? The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. He goes on to say, you don't, speaking to women, you don't say anything. Women need to get themselves under control and realize they are not to speak in church. Okay. So, quite the direct... I said there needed to be a trigger warning, right? Quite a direct teaching here. Very simple. He looks at the Word of God. He sees the Bible. And he says, this is clearly what it says. There's no way to misinterpret what Paul means when he says women are to remain silent in church. What I find, this is just a little side note, what I find to be interesting is what a contemporary of Paul said when he was reflecting on what Paul thought. He said, this is a man by the name of Peter. Have you ever heard of Peter? He said, guys, some things Paul writes are difficult to understand. And check this out. Irresponsible people who don't know what they are talking about twist them, his writings, every which way. They do it to the rest of the scriptures too, destroying themselves as they do it. So what Peter is proposing is that it's maybe not always as simple as just picking this book up and saying, aha, it says it right here. And so that I have to, therefore, participate in what it says that I'm supposed to do. You know, it's great that we read the Bible, but what Paul, what Peter is proposing is that it is possible to read the Bible in the wrong way. And in fact, it is very dangerous to read the Bible in the wrong way. That's what he says, right? They can actually read the scriptures, and I'm not... Please don't misunderstand me. Again, I have my views of what Brother MacArthur said or what Beth Moore says. By the way, Beth Moore, how do you think she responded? Very graciously. Very, very gracious. Honestly, she was just extremely gracious and humble in her response. But but the point is, is that when we encounter the word, what we call the word of God, when we encounter it, we have to encounter and understand that this is an ancient document. There's an expression within Christianity. I've already hinted at it, and I've said it. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. But the question is, is it always that simple? Let me, let me, you know, 
brother, Pastor MacArthur, says that it is not hard to understand these are the clear commands of Scripture. Let me share with you a few other clear commands of Scripture, and let me ask you how you're doing, right? Okay, I'm going to list off ten of them really quickly for you. Other clear commands in the Word of God. Okay, number one, don't touch a menstruating woman or anything she touches. That's a Leviticus. I've been just going through Leviticus through my 90-day reading. If you, if, if, if you, ladies, if you choose not to shake my hand today, I'll understand why you're doing it. It's not simply because I'm sick, but this is, this is what the Word of God teaches. You actually, if a woman sits on a chair when she's during her monthly period, that chair is unclean and I am not allowed to sit on it after that. So how are you guys doing on that? Number two. I'm going to come around, and I'm not trying to be flippant here. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but I'm going to come around and see, make sure you're not wearing any clothes with mixed fibers, right? Let me see here, camera. Is this, is this pure cotton here? Okay. So that's another one. What about this one? Check this out. We are not to charge interest. Uh-oh. That topples our whole capitalist system. Not to charge interest. Number four, just a quick run through. We are to cancel debts every seven years, according to scripture. The clear word of God. The clear word of God. Notice what else? Number five. You say, you say to yourself, well, these are Old Testament, right? We don't have to worry about those. With one fell swoop, we can just get rid of all of them. That, check this out. Women are to wear head coverings when they pray. According to Paul, guy, Guy who's very clear in what he says, right? Women are to wear head coverings. Another one that Jesus shares, how you doing on this one? If someone slaps you on the cheek, you are to let them slap you on the other one as well. Right? This is what the word of God teaches. Literally, if we're going to follow the word of God. Number seven, we're not to judge people. Pretty straightforward. Jesus says, don't judge lest you be judged. Hard to get around that one. Number eight, don't eat meat that has blood in it or that has been strangled, according to Acts. This is a New Testament admonition. When the, when the Jews were, when the, when the early Christians were trying to figure out what Gentiles were to follow, this was one of the four that they said, don't eat meat that it has blood in it or is strangled. Number nine, women are not to braid their hair. Go around and look, see how we're all doing this morning. That's why I just cut my hair. I'm not a woman, of course. But And then lastly, this one maybe is a little bit of a challenge to us, but Paul, that same Paul, that same Paul, do you know what his stance is on marriage? He's not in favor of it at all. He says that we are not to get married except, except if you can't keep your hands off a person. That's what basically what he says. If you're burning with passion, okay, go ahead and get married. So here's, these, and, and this is just a, a small list. You know, in the Old Testament alone, the Jews understood that there were 611 commands. There's actually debate whether there's 613 or 611. And I want to make sure we, you know, don't shortchange, so there might be 613. But that's just in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is actually the easy stuff, believe it or not. It's the New Testament where it gets really hard. You think, well, it's kind of the opposite, isn't it? 
No, Jesus comes along and he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, what? Don't even get angry with somebody. Well, that's real easy, right? But the question comes back to me, is this that simple? The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Now, what has happened is there have been some people who've come to this document and they've encountered all of these rules and they've seen all of these inconsistencies and they've said, well, why do you follow that but you don't follow that? If you, if you don't realize that you do this, just hang out with somebody who does not believe the Bible is the word of God if you're, if you're a Christian and you'll find out very quickly that there are some inconsistencies in your life, in my life. And they'll say, well, why do you do that, but you don't do that? Why do you do this, but you don't do this? Now, many of us hopefully are humble enough to realize that we don't have it all figured out. I mentioned that last week, that when I read Scripture, the the biggest idea I come away with when I read it very fast as I'm doing right now is about 98% of it is hard for me to understand. And I I can't just neatly put it in a box and say, ah, yes, I have it all figured out. So what that has led many people to do is to take the whole thing, and do you know what they've done with it? They've just thrown it in the trash. They say, ah, listen, all those inconsistencies, all those different laws and rules, and you follow these, but you don't follow that, May as well just get rid of it all. After all, it is written by human beings who have a religious agenda. And so how can we trust it? How can we put any faith and belief in it? And and to those who have that attitude, I'm sympathetic, but there's one major problem when you do that. And that is, if you throw the Bible out lock, stock, and barrel, guess what you also do? You throw Jesus out. And if you haven't noticed, Jesus is a pretty popular person. Even people who are not Christians, even people who are atheists, even people, Muslims, Buddhists, whomever, there's a great admiration and respect for Jesus. And so if you throw this out, How would you know anything about Jesus? How would you know who he is? How would you know what his heart is all about? How would you know the very positive image and the very positive ethic that he gives? In fact, there's a little story, and this is where we will will just kind of wind down for today because we're going to revisit this in the next few weeks. But um, there's a story where Jesus was preaching to thousands And he starts sharing these messages about needing to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Talk about a weird command, right? And so he's like, yeah, if you want want to have life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And do you know how his audience responded to that? They were like, I don't know about that. Let's, let's, Let's not follow this guy anymore. He's got some strange teachings. And so they all left. And he turned to his followers, his closest followers, the disciples, and he said, are you going to leave as well? Are you going to join the others and just take off and go away? And I love Peter, that same Peter who was reflecting on Paul's writings. This was his response to Jesus. 
But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, I would propose to you as a preliminary proposition that at the very least, and this is from my own experience, and I'll share a little bit more about that in a second, but if nothing else, these, this book here, made up of 66 smaller book, books, contains the words of life. They contain the words of eternal life. And I want to I I submit to you this morning that if your encounter with that book is not life-giving, but is instead kind of a weight and a, and a, and a load and, and shame-filled, I want to submit to you that perhaps God is inviting you into a different encounter with that book. Because at the heart of this book is, is, is life. And of course, the very heart of life is Jesus. And so when you go to that book and you experience the grace and the compassion and the mercy and the love of Jesus, that is life-giving. And if you encounter an approach to that book, the scriptures, that is not life-giving, you say to yourself, maybe this isn't the right approach to that book. Maybe this isn't the right approach to how I understand these scriptures. One of my friends, excuse me, one of my friends, uh, Ty Gibson, he puts it this way. The Bible is not a rule book by which God is trying to control us, but a story book by which he's trying to liberate us. And so when we, when we, when we rightly approach, and there's, there's, uh, Paul talks about rightly dividing the word of truth meaning rightly understanding it, rightly interpreting it, rightly encountering it. When we rightly divide it, it gives us life, it liberates us, it gives us freedom. It doesn't add burdens to us. You see, some of us, we go to this book and we say, okay, I need to figure out everything this book says and I need to do exactly what it says. And I want to submit to you, praise God, we all want to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And yet, as I mentioned, there are ways that we can approach it that are not life-giving, but life-taking. And God never intended it simply to be this code book, this rule book, where we just try to find out every little detail so that every little aspect of our life is controlled meticulously by this God who's looking at us and saying, okay, they're following that, they're not following that. I love them, I don't love them. But this book is life-giving and he gives us these beautiful ways to live that causes flourishing of life, not a denigrating of it. Now some of us may think to ourselves, okay, you know what? I've encountered inconsistencies, and so what I've decided to do is I'm just going to follow every rule exactly as it's supposed to be followed. And let me tell you, that's going to be a dead-end street. Not because God doesn't want us to live by his laws of life, but because if that's the way we approach it, it's going to crush us. It's going to crush us. More importantly, is it's one thing to seek what the Lord would have us do, 
Where we really get into trouble is where we're trying to mandate other people also do that. In fact, this guy, Leslie Newbegin, he put it this way. Part of the reason for the rejection of dogma, and what I would say by that is the Bible as well, and the scriptures and, and the commandments. He says one of the reasons for the rejection of dogma, I shared this a few months back actually, is that it has been for so long been entangled with coercion, with political power, and so with the denial of freedom, freedom of thought and of conscience, when coercion of any kind is used in the interests of, Christian, of the Christian message, the message itself is corrupted. The reign of God is present under the form not of power, but of weakness. So it's one thing for me to say, oh, you know what? I've concluded that, in, that, that the scriptures are speaking to me in such a way that maybe a woman shouldn't be speaking in church. I'm just using this as a, a very simple example. It doesn't mean that I have to declare that all churches and all places have to follow that rule as well. Where I get into trouble is when I start using that as a clobber tool over people's heads. And, I, and people encounter these rules rather than encountering primary, the, primarily the love of Jesus. Paul put it this way, that same man Paul, he said, Christ has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. A new covenant, not of the letter, not of the letter. People who are living by the letter are trying to play gotcha, right? They're trying to to catch people in mistakes and sin. But we're not living by the letter, but we're living by the Spirit. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, doesn't give life. But the Spirit does what? It gives life. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. There is freedom. There's joy. There's there's excitement and happiness and joy. You know, I've shared this story before, but I just have to... Every time I talk about the Word of God, I have to share this story. Sorry to repeat myself if you've been here and heard this before. But when I was 17 years old, it was my first summer that I was going to be working at a place called Camp Lorweld with Cameron and with Ellie. I think that was it at that point. Courtney was a camper at one point. That's how old we are. But uh, the first summer I was working there, and my birthday follows, falls in the summer. It's always a sad thing. I didn't get to celebrate it at school like everybody else. Anyone else have a summer birthday? Yeah, thank you, yeah. And so uh, my... My parents came up to Maine because we lived in Massachusetts and we had a little celebration and they excitedly gave me my birthday present. And I opened it up and it was a Bible. And my heart sank. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I was 17 years old, right? And it had my name engraved on it. I was like, oh, thank you. I was not excited about it. I was thinking, okay, maybe this is just the first gift, you know, one of many that are coming. It was the only gift I got from my parents. And I very reluctantly received it. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, we started working camp, and I was working in the kitchen with Cameron and Ellie. And that's a true story, yes. And I was probably the worst kitchen worker, also a true story. (laughs) 
And I was kind of an outsider. I'm just, this is how I felt. Then again, I'm an Enneagram 4, so I always feel like an outsider. I was an outsider because I was from Massachusetts. They were all from Maine and stuff. And I felt like I didn't have any friends. Right, Cameron? And, um, and so I said, man, I need some companionship. And so every time we would have a break, I would go in my room. And I said, I wonder what this book has to offer me. Not that I'd never read it before, but I was like, okay, I just got this new Bible. And it was right then and there that summer that I fell in love with the scriptures, when I fell in love with the Bible. I fell in love with it not because I said, okay, this is a rule book that I have to follow every little rule meticulously. It's because in it I encountered the life-giving power of God's love. And ever since then, I've been in love with Scripture. It's so fun to read through it and discover new things. And I can't explain to you scientifically exactly how it all works exactly. All I can tell you is that when I open up this book and I read it through the lens of God's love, not through the lens of, okay, what are the rules I'm supposed to follow? How can I use this as a weapon for other people? When I read it through the lens of God's love, it changes me and transforms me. So this morning, as we continue to wrestle with that question, what is the Bible and how do we understand it? I just want to invite you again. I'm going to give you that challenge again. Pick it up, 90 days, read it through, and allow the Spirit to bring freedom and liberty to you by His grace. Does that sound like a plan? All right.